Welcome to Pilots and Petards Podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything ado with first episodes of a filmic series. This is your co-hoister Jimbo, and joining us as always is our co-hoister Drew. For folks new to the show, disclaimer, petard is absolutely non-discriminatory, and it is a real word. Petards are explosive devices usually used to take out a door or wall. Thank you, Jimbo, and to be hoisted on a petard is to be hurt or destroyed by one's own plot or device intended for another. So in Eagle Point terms, to be blown up by one's own bomb. And here at Pilots and Petards Podcast, we watch television pilots or the first episode of a series, and we make critical judgments. We decide whether these pilots are awesome and deserve a watch or a rewatch of the preceding series, or we hoist these pilots on their own petards. To hoist or not to hoist Jimbo, that is the question. Join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the 90s WB family family comedy slash dramedy Seventh Heaven will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. So we have a couple announcements today. As always, if you want to contribute to the pilots we do in the future, then you need to give us a review on iTunes and some other places that we can maybe plug at the end of the show. And we are very happy to have our first guest today. She is funny wicked cool and will bring great insights and balance to drew's he-man woman hatery and the overwhelming white maleness so without further ado moana welcome to the show i'm going to put you on the spot have you listened to our show and can you say a little bit about yourself in 60 seconds of less of course yes thank you for such a great introduction i didn't know you felt that way about me and i'm such i'm so honored to be your first guest on this show so first, to answer your question, I have to admit I have not listened to more than one episode. I did listen to one. It's the Buffy and the, Vamp- the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I did enjoy it. I know it was early on in, in your podcasting, so I did have feedback that I already gave you, but I did not review, so everyone should review. But I hope to catch up on all your episodes. But to give a background on how I know these two crazy gentlemen, uh, we did Peace Corps together a few years ago, and so I really could not say no to joining you two on your antics here on, on your podcast. So I'm really excited to be here. As I mentioned, we are very excited to have you. No joke about the white maleness. We, Especially for this episode, I think having a female voice is going gonna, is gonna to contribute a lot. You know, the show is pretty straightforward, and we're going to follow mostly that same format. And before we jump into the show, uh, Drew's going to give us a background as to why we chose Seventh Heaven. I'm going to give us a quick summary, and then we'll jump into high points. So go ahead, Drew. Thank you, Jimbo. So just a quick reminder, um, if you go on iTunes, if you write a review, five-star if possible, four-star if you must, you can also leave us a little note that'll say what uh, pilot you would like us to watch and overanalyze. This pilot was actually chosen by my wife, Tori. My wife picked this show, and she gave me a couple notes as to why she remembers it so fondly. She said that, quote, these days, TV shows are either about the adults or the shows about the 12-year-olds, but this show is about the family as a whole. I wish there were more shows like this today. We watched it together, too, which was really fun. I'm subtweeting um, when Tori and I watched Pilots, because within five minutes, she was like, I don't remember it being this shitty. But also, by the end of the episode, she was, she was all in. Tori probably wouldn't hoist this show. Um, but she did, her feelings were clouded by hashtag nostalgia. Jimbo, what was your background? Before I jump into that, it's very obvious that Tori had a fairly large nostalgia boner. I'm just going to throw that out there. My background is very 
simple. I never watched the show before. This this show was nothing even close to what I would have watched. I was way too cool for this show. How about you, Drew? I'll make mine quick. My dad liked this show. I couldn't remember why I knew about this show, but I talked to my dad today, and he was like, I like that show. And I was like, oh, dad. Oh, dad. But uh, I remember one very specific episode where, like, uh, it was the beginning of the season, and the middle sister who grew up along with the rest of us, you know, but on television, she got boobs over the summer. And so um, she was in all the season previews, and I just remember in that first scene, the dad takes a stapler because it's, like, her first day of junior or senior year, and he staples her, like, outer shirt shut. And I was like, oh, man, uh, pubescent Drew. Uh, I think I finished the episode, just just to be fair, but it, it wasn't for me. But that particular episode stays with me as a moment of my pubescence. Moana, how about you? I definitely remember watching this show for a while. I don't know if you two had the privilege of having cable television where you can just have a plethora of options on what you could watch, but we had an antenna, WB, now now known as, I think, CW. That was my only channel that I could watch, so I definitely watched it, and I was also nine years old, and it was pretty impressionable for me. I, I did stop watching it, or it lost me, because I, as I did become older, and I know you two are older than me, so you might have been more cool in your, in your teens, maybe, around that time, where we were too cool for this show. And when I did get to the, like 13 or 14, I stopped watching, which if anyone does remember this far into the show, Simon grows up to just be so annoying and gets a hoop earring and I don't know, maybe drinks and drives in an episode. Who knows? Whoa. But he, oh, God. He's annoying. It's pretty dramatic. Uh, but I, Is I Simon the blonde boy? Uh, yeah, Simon's the albino yeah, child. Yeah, Simon's the blonde brat. Yes. Yeah, he gets more brat okay. for sure. Oh, good for him. White so, hair. Justin Bieber, twenty years ago. Worse. That hair is too much. It's, wow. They should have. He dyes it black. Actually, I think he dyes it black. Oh, he goes point. emo. Good for him. I think he does, doesn't he? With a really like a hoop earring. I don't know. So, and that's about the time they lost me. <laughs> but and I but I do through to comment on Mary or Scabiel's character. She is so hot, and that was for, that was filmed twenty years ago that pilot and I just couldn't get over the fact that she looks better now than she did 20 years ago. Like I just can't get over that. She looked pretty good 20 years ago too. You know, just hydrate. You just got to hydrate and drink enough water and we'll all look great. Okay. And um, just be rich. I think that helps. It does. Yeah. Large, large amounts of money will do wonders for people. It will. And, and Moana, don't worry. Drew was, Drew was never cool in high school. He was, he was downloading episodes <laughs> of Buffy on LimeWire and trading them on like the dark internet. So I I had very little <laughs> dignity or coolness. It was fine. I wasn't that cool, but you didn't have to be that cool to not watch this show. So I was luckily <laughs> cool enough to dodge that bullet. That's a good point. We, the options were point. limited. <laughs> and, hey, that's fine. That's fine, Moana. You, you know, you were nine years old. You didn't know any better yet. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> All right. Well, Jimbo, we've been in suspense long enough. For the people who like to listen for our banter... Why don't you tell them about this show so they can have a starting point? What's your 60-second summary? So the Camden family has a bunch of real American problems like parent miscommunication and overstepping each other. On the other hand, the kids want to smoke, they want to kiss boys, they want to get periods, and they want dogs. And to top it all off, the grandma is about to die any day now. 
Luckily for the Camdens, they solve all these issues besides the grandma with without any additional conflicts or drama. So that's that's very convenient. It makes for it makes for a very interesting podcast conversation about a pilot. I'll say that. And unless I missed anything, Drew or Moana, for the 60-second summary, I think we're going to move on to the high points, and Drew's going to start us off. I can definitely start us off with the high points, Jimbo. And the only thing I would say you would miss is there's a lot of God in this episode. Like, it's 2017, and we're not used to this much God talk on our network television. There's just a lot of God. I think we'll get to that, yeah. We will. I'm just saying, you know, you're like, did I miss anything in the 60 seconds? I'd be like, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about how much how much JC we get in this program. But um, here's my high point. There are seven main characters. It's a 42-minute pilot. Um, but I thought this show did a really nice job keeping things moving, introducing each character and giving them kind of their own little moment, their own little character definition. Uh, you get, definitely got a sense of everyone. And then in addition to that, um, they each got a couple little character moments with each other. So... Um, I thought it was cool that Mary, the the oldest sister, she had an individual moment with her little sister who's getting her period, with her mom, with her dad, with her brother, with that bro she wants to make out with. You know, she's obviously going to be the breakout star. I, I assume the director knew, but the older brother had a bunch of good individual scenes. The dad interacted with, I think, all five kids and, and the mom. And so there was a lot of balls in the air being juggled, but I felt that the the stars like the parents and the two oldest kids got the most amount of time and that was correct and that everyone else kind of got their own moment except for Ruthie who kind of got like rolled into the dog in a little boy's story she got shafted but still no six out of seven is pretty good what do you think I will say Ruthie's the only character I exceptionally liked on that show so I so I was very much offended that you know that she got the shaft and Drew, I think um, juggling balls is a perfect, dis- you know, description for our first high point in this show. I would have to say, Tori, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but a, a little foreshadowing. I'm not going to be very uh, heavenly to seventh heaven. Hey, oh, Moana, how about you? So I will definitely agree with you, Drew, that there was like seven character arcs in like a 42 minute episode, which was impressive, I guess. Let me think. Okay. Why am I losing my thought? Are you going to edit this out, James? Yep. Yeah, for sure, dude. Okay. Okay. I was like, wait, I don't know how to act. Well, I just, just, just continue where uh, the mom is fixing. You distracted me with juggling balls. And I was like, where do I go? I didn't. That's Drew's words, not mine, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was like, I just started thinking. I might cut this back in. Let's let's get back. No, let's get back to juggling balls, Mona. What do you have to say about this show? Just juggling balls for forty two minutes. Just a lot um, of balls I don't know. It just was... <laughs> you could almost call this like the love actually of our pilots. Lots of inter stories getting told. What did you think? Right. Well, I I necessarily didn't appreciate too many character arcs and so many things going on. But you do mention how, how Ruthie did get shafted, which I will agree with you. Um, but I think the other the other women in the in the episode were rather highlighted and kind of were shown in in different character lights, and their arcs were more unexpected as women, especially of the wife of a pastor and his daughters. I mean, for example, like the mom fixing the sink and and taking care of that all on her own was kind of impressive, and especially for 1996. 
Mary slayed it when she picked that tampon up up from the ground and just oh. kept talking to that bro that she's into. That I can't remember his Moana, name. Moana, yeah. is that moment your MVP? Is that your high point? Just her like squatting down, grabbing it, and popping it in her pocket? That the high point? 100%. Yes. Yes. Mary just slayed this entire episode, and I think she just carried – she probably ended up carrying the show – Moana, but, uh, I disagree I with that. I disagree with one point about Mary slaying this episode. I say Mary slays ninety five percent of this episode, but we'll get to that. I'm sorry to interrupt Moana. Continue. Okay, great. No, that's fine. So yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of wraps up my high point. To be honest, uh, I just I appreciated the normality of when they, with the whole period talk and the mother and her daughters coming together and their sisters being there for each other. And Ruthie did get shafted from that, but I think it's just would have been an awkward way to incorporate her. She was, she's kind of young to be like really a, a pivotal part in that conversation. So I appreciated that. Moana, can I, can I get real, real invasive for a sec? And you might not want to talk about this on a podcast, but I'd like to ask you, can okay. I get there? Okay. So why not? Yeah, great. The middle sister stands on her head to try and get her period. Did you hear a lot of crazy stuff? when girls in your grade were starting to get a period did anybody like pass around advice like this and if they did what was the craziest bit of period advice that you heard around the age of 11 and is that too weird for me to ask you on a podcast um no no i don't know if i could really remember weird stuff i definitely i don't mind sharing because it's like who cares everyone gets a period we're all here because of periods. I've never but, got a period. Um, well, Mo- Moana, technically we're all here because <laughs> because someone didn't get a period. That's true. That's true. <laughs> awesome. We're all here because there weren't periods. Yeah. We're all just little failed um, periods walking around. Yeah. Just like, I don't really remember weird stuff about standing on your head. I don't, when I was among the first of my friends to get her periods. I just kind of told it like it was to those that came after me. I never, I never heard anything weird, but I was, I will comment that I wasn't allowed to use a tampon until I just took it upon myself when I was like 17. The fact that the mom in this show, what's her name? Annie, Annie is just like doing that. It it was just, it seemed interesting to me because that, that is definitely a thing where moms like don't allow their daughters to use tampons because it's like, you know, losing your virginity. Moana. Do you did, yes. did did getting your period early give you status amongst the other eleven year olds? Yes, because my boobs were growing, so I guess around among the boys. But among the, I was really shy about it. I never really told anyone. Okay, Jimbo, can you follow that but, with your high point? <laughs> I okay. I just want you guys to notice something. You guys completely shut me out of this conversation. Okay, so I've just been here to listen in. Drew's just stilling up our guest. Okay, remember, you know, I'm still here, guys. Hi Jimbo. So yeah. Jimbo. Now, so I, I'm going to go back to both high points that I was completely shut out of, and uh, you know I'm going to comment. You know I'm, I'm going to take my place back in this podcast. I think Drew's high point is very valid. The the characters all had had their their own time, and that's that's an aspect of good storytelling and, and good television. And I completely agree with with Moana and the the female present, and that actually transitions really well into my high point. My high point was that specific scene when they're discussing Mary's first kiss between the mother, the father, and the big bro. And the mother's defending the daughter, and then and then the dad and the bro are just like, what? No, you don't know what boys are like. Oh, no, you can't allow that. 
And I thought the mom just like sticking up for uh, the daughter, but also sticking up for, you know, for women was just was just well done. And I would say that was the only real scene that I experienced besides maybe the one of the last scenes in the show where the rest of the show to me was just like a fantasy. It was like a fairy tale without any cool science fiction or any actual it was like a fantasy that takes place in a world that you recognize. I agree, Jimbo. Who has five kids and they're all just like hanging around the house on a Saturday? Never. I just don't I don't that's super not true. Or who goes shooting pool with their dad? Oh, the pool location was odd. <laughs> it was like a coffee house and it had pool and I guess they were serving alcohol and coffee and I what was the locale? <laughs> For that I had so That's many questions confusing. about that Same. and like one of the things that really bugged me is those are not real kids those are the kids that everybody wishes they have and then you you know you get stuck with whatever kids you actually have this whole family is just a fairy tale family and I don't know it just didn't work for me I did not appreciate it I would say off mic Jimbo you and I talked I think that this is an aspirational or a, kind of a hyperbolic show like it's exaggerated this is a very, very, very nice family with people who get along and people who say the right thing. And when they fuck up, it's really nice how they fuck up and stuff. But I I would say for some people, this is like a very happy story. And I'll, I'll stick up for the fantasy of this show just because not everything has to be grim and gritty. Not everything has to be morally ambiguous. Not everything has to be Breaking Bad. For some people, this might be the junk food of non-confrontational television. You're right. And also, all those kids' complexion is way too nice. There is so very little acne or zits or anything going on. That's bullshit. <laughs> well, Jessica Beale still has flawless skin. To date. Maybe she always did. Yep. Moa, uh, your thoughts, last thoughts, and high points? I, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with Jimbo on... I have more low points than high points, I, I would say, on this one. Even though I admittedly watched this show well into second or third season however many seasons it was yeah what do you think about my comparison about that one scene being real did you get that like yeah yeah i i that that scene definitely stuck out to me especially i think what she the mom had said was don't worry mary when you're his age you'll be able to date older boys too and and so it kind of like was a an equalizer of based on age rather than on gender so i i appreciated that from the mom and then they end up giving her what she wants anyways, and she's just... Mary just really stole my heart in this one. Drew, what do you think of, of the dad and the brother? Because because the thing like the thing that I felt was so accurate about this scene was that the male present was also extremely accurate. Like, brothers know how locker room talk goes, and fathers know how, how boys are. So, like, the the brother and the father being really defensive about Mary dating and, and kind of being into boys at such a young age, I think also made, made that scene so accurate and real. It was just a whole bunch of like toxic masculinity yelling at each other. It was, it was cool. They were, pre- they weren't yelling though. Well, no, I mean, in, no, in my head, just when they're like, I know what boys oh, okay. want. I know what boys are like in my head. I was just like, Oh, toxic masculinity in the nineties and beforehand. So no, I agree with Mona. I would say that's still true, though, man. What do you think? I'd rather the father as a minister and a pastor have difficult conversations with his sons about consent than them try and shut Mary out. But that's the difficult line. That would make that scene a fantasy, dude. That that would make my only real scene not be real. Uh, let's, let's make it a reality. 
<laughs> for the time where it was, it was great. And it's still great. It's still great for the mom to stick up and be like, let's make this an age thing, not a gender thing. But I mean, that's the difficult thing. I have a daughter and like, I want her to live in a better world. But if you think I'm not going to give her like a coupon, look it up on Amazon. It's a self-defense device. I will. Cause I want her to like, watch out. Like the world can be dangerous for a young woman, but I wish it wasn't. Like, are you going to tell her, like, go out there and kiss boys? Or are you going to tell her, stay away from boys? I know how boys are. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Do you find a happy medium? Um, I'm hoping that by the time she's kissing boys, society will be a bit more enlightened. But I don't really want to give her, like, really hard and fast rules about contact with either their gender or the opposite gender. Because, like, it's been my experience as a teacher that as soon as you say, hey, don't do that, they're going to do it. So I feel like if I was, like, Eva don't kiss boys till you're 16. She's going to kiss boys the day I tell her to do that. So I just want to set her up in a way that she'll be confident enough that she'll know, you know, what consent means and that, you know, her body, her choice. And that if she doesn't want someone to touch her, they won't. And that if she wants to touch someone, she'll be comfortable enough and have the confidence to communicate that in a variety of ways. I want to raise a confident daughter and, you know, one that makes good choices. And I don't want to put rules on stuff like that. Nice. So you are all the way on the just let her figure it out spectrum. That's that's uh, I hope you follow through with that choice. And in fact, um, Ebba, if you're 14, 15, 13 years old and you're listening right now, you just heard it from your father. Wow. It's recorded. <laughs> <laughs> we have the phone. This is a widely listened to podcast, Moana. <laughs> Like that, that promise will be remembered by dozen, two dozens. Oh. All right. Well, Moana, can you group. tell us? You're good, Dad. Thank you. Moana, can you tell us about your low points? So my low point was a thread throughout this entire episode. And those parents were just way too horny, like just really awkwardly horny for each other, which, you know, I respect when, People have five kids and they still want to get it on with each other, but it was just like too much for me. It, it, it kind of grossed me out and it took away from from the show. I just, no, not a fan, not a fan. Do you want to say something, Jimbo? I completely agree. From that opening scene, the very first seconds of the show, I thought that was just kind of awkward and I was definitely, I mean, I was... That did not make me want to watch that show. Like when I fought, when I saw that first scene, I was like, "This show's gonna suck." Like you know, like this show is just not gonna be good. And then when all the kids come in, like just like every single one of them just interrupts them, and then the the you know the big bro has to come in and be like, "Hey, you guys, mom and dad are trying to bang. Remember it's Saturday." <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. That was my thing. The next scene when they're making breakfast, I I turned to Tori and I was like, "Did they just fuck?" Did they just have some morning <laughs> sex? Did does the son know? Yes. Yes, he knows. He he. It's like he wanted it to happen, so he could go out there and smoke some cigs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he he smokes when his parents are banging. He's like. Just... That's a, that that's his one chance. Mechanism. That's so. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it was it was not it was not cute. It just was too much. To go off of that with just being uncomfortable with the sexual tension in the in this episode there was that scene with uh, matt and mary who are brother and sister and she's practicing tr- learning how to 
kiss a guy or start to kiss or initiate a kiss. I was confused by the purpose of why she would do that, but they were, and then, and yeah, then the she fact was that they were caught, they were like caught by the dad and it just was, it was hella weird. Hey, so Moana, that's my low point. So I'll, if you don't mind, I'll kind of seg into this too and take up my, my customary five minute chunk of the podcast as Jimbo likes to say. And so, yeah, it is icky. And it is icky throughout the episode. And the thing is, um, I have an opposite gender sibling. And I never asked her about how or who to kiss, where the hands and things go. So I find that to be inauthentic. But beyond that, like, I was, again, I was watching with Tori. And I got to start tweeting with Tori's comments because, like, we didn't say a word when they started to talk to each other about, you know, (laughs) kissing. I was like, no. In my head, I'm like, no. No, he's not going to ask her. And then... Tori was silent too. And when it cut to the next scene, I turned and I was like, was that really icky and uncomfortable? And she was like, I don't remember this from the pilot. So nostalgia, but I feel like the first scene before the dad catches them is way more uncomfortable, way ickier. And that the next scene, it's not even as bad, even though there's closer physical contact. And when the older brother shoots down his bro hand later in the episode too, it does not come off as protective older brother it comes off as like watch out bro territory here so i i imagine they were going for protective older brother what i really got was uh like icky chemistry between the two most charismatic actors of the show they didn't need to do that jimbo what do you think obviously that's just terrible writing like whoever wrote that dialogue which i i'm assuming it's brenda hampton the writer creator and producer that was just terrible dude and then, like, I felt bad for the actors because their acting was terrible too. But it's like, what are they supposed to do? Like, like what, like, what options do you have besides terrible acting for that scene? Just gotta do some method acting, Jimbo. They just gotta go. I guess. They gotta go see their sibling and just feel the weirdness. Yeah, uh, it was. It was. I'll tell you this. Uh, we'll get to the hoisting and not hoisting. This particular scene was. Very, very instrumental, in my opinion, of whether to hoist the show or not. And Moana, I called you out like seven minutes ago where you were like Mary Slated the entire episode. Mm. No slayage in this scene. No. You're right. You're right. She was desperate for her brother. It was awkward. But that was right. Wait, wait, wait. Moana, you're an avid Seventh Heaven watcher, you know, deep into the third season. Is there any – are there more instances of weird sexual chemistry between these siblings? Uh, I don't really remember to be honest, but – Probably. I wouldn't doubt if there was. I wouldn't doubt if there was. If this is how they started off, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I know Matt, the oldest brother, gets also kinds of into weird – some weird stuff. I think he gets some chick pregnant or something. I don't even know. Ooh. I can't remember. Ooh. Ooh, that that yeah, might affect my watch or rewatch. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I can't comment really. But I don't remember, but I would not be surprised. I found the Mary and Matt scene to just be right in par with the rest of the episode. By the time that like by the time that scene took place, yeah, it was terrible. But I wasn't surprised. I wasn't weirded out. I was like, yeah, this is this is just this weird ass show. Oh, uh, incest, incest. Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt, dude, watching the show. I was like, yeah, of course, they're going to, you know, start banging. It's the awkwardness, I think, is what you're saying, right, Jimbo? Like, this show's just been so awkward and uncomfortable to, like, witness and also just so unreal 
that watching that interaction between two siblings that I can also attest, I just, you, you never do that with, with the sibling of the opposite sex. And so it's like unreal that that would ever happen. And it's uncomfortable, exactly. which is on part with how the show was before. Yes, exactly. Like, like only in this family would the sister feel comfortable asking her older brother how to kiss a boy. Like the, in this show, in that pilot episode, that is completely normal. I don't know why Drew's so so weirded out by that scene. I wasn't. I thought it was a terrible scene, but I didn't think it was any weirder than anything else that happened. I thought the other fancy stuff was kind of cute. It was like, oh, the older sister's trying to tell the younger sister how to get a period, and the five-year-old sister is standing on her head too. I'm like. That's cute. That's kind of corny funny. That was cute. Yeah, okay. That was, took like 15 seconds of the show, Drew. There there were a lot of moments like that in my opinion. I think there were more moments like that, like some cute little weird moments like Mary picking up that tampon. Like it's not a big deal, just kind of killing it there. There were a number of cute little moments that were cute as opposed to quasi-incestual, weird. The most chemistry that any two people had was – I don't think they necessarily had chemistry. It was just really weird. The older brother played it way too intense. Everything was real intense with him. Uh, Mary could maybe Mary's my uh, MVP, but she's not. Could have been. She was just desperate, and also the writing was just shitty. There was no way. Yes. She was kind of like teetering, innocent and desperate, and then so it was like up to the older brother in that scene to just be like, "This is fucking weird," and like literally walk away. But he, but he didn't. Stayed there and he was a <laughs> teenager. Yeah. He stayed there. Stayed there like a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, he stayed there and interacted with – that's like dialogue from like a fifth grader. If, if they would have been in the all-girls school and their teacher would have been like, write a story about kissing a boy. I think we can move on from that. I know we agreed on one low point each, but I just can't resist having at least two. So, But, but, but my first low point is going to be a brief one. Did you guys notice the anti-smoking campaign thrown in the middle of this episode? Uh, how did you not notice that? Okay. It was interesting. But, I mean, fuck the tobacco industry, so I was about it. Yeah, I guess I overlooked that, but it's, it seemed like a like, like a plug, and I wonder if someone paid them money to do that, or if they were just like, yeah, we're – is that just a Christian thing to do? Because I, I don't think Christians are necessarily against smoking. I don't. Yeah, it was it was oddly placed. I didn't know if they were adding layers to the older brother's character besides having him be really into his little sister. Uh, maybe they were like, look at this guy. His hair is kind of like Jesus's, and he smokes a cig, and he's the preacher's son, and whoa. That's the thing. I'll, again, it goes back to the juggling. It didn't feel out of place. It was just kind of like this wacky thing's happening to everybody. And then the and then the old the old preacher dad gets to get one over on his son. He's one step ahead of them all, except when it comes to perioding. Not too good at that. I'm not talking about the storytelling aspect. I'm talking about like we're gonna take a pause for a public announcement. Audience, don't smoke. Like like that's like that's how that whole scene played out to me. Like that scene when he's working with that old lady and how she's searching desperately for cigarettes even though she's on an oxygen tank. Like that whole yes, thing. exactly. Yeah, it was a total PSA vibes. Debbie with the hole in her throat. Oh God, yeah, I remember that one. Jesus. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. What's next? Okay, my okay, my last low point, and this is this is my legit low point. This is lower than than the parents wanting to bang all weekend. This is lower than the older brother and the oldest sister 
trying to get it on to is the little blonde boy, dude. I cannot stand that kid. I don't usually cuss on this show, but but I'm about to drop an f bomb, dude. You know when that kid was just the whole show, he's just crying about, oh, I need a dog. Oh, I, you know, I want a dog. And his dad tries to tell him, like, son, you can't always get what you want. And he's like, but it'd be nice just this one time. It's like, no, fuck you, little kid, you little spoiled punk. Like, fuck that kid. Kid drove me crazy, man. Yeah, I'm in stuck. Yeah, that kid's real passive aggressive, like slipping prayers in for the dog at the table when his dad's like a preacher. Like that that's called yeah, that's called going around the chain of command. Like you gotta follow the chain of command, dude. If your mom and dad say no on a dog, don't go talk to God about it. Then it's like you're talking to your boss's boss there, and that's going outside the chain of command. Yeah, I agree, Jimbo. Can uh, we also touch on how the dad was just like he must have said at least three times, like, now that's not proof for God, or that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. It's like, why was he even saying those lines? Like, those lines did not fit in the show. And if we're kind of getting close to uh, um, an MVP talk, then we can save it. But I thought the way the, the, the dad kept referring to, that's not why there's a God, but there is a God, to me just made it really questionable. Almost like the author was maybe an atheist and was like trying to like show you like, yeah, if you think that God gave you a dog from the pound, then you're a dumbass. Like that's how I like saw that scene. Well, I don't know if I got it as existential as Jimbo did on that whole like storyline of the dog and, and it like being linked to does God exist or not. But, um, but I will agree that Simon was just, a spoiled little brat and and I was almost rooting for him to be honest until his dad listed all the animals he had killed that they yeah, had tried to give him recently and I was just like wait oh, like yeah. literally <laughs> you had like this was your that was your time to shine and you you killed a goldfish and sea monkeys and ants or whatever the fuck else it was so like I was definitely uh, rooting against him at that point and then when the mom pulled a fast one and brought that that dog home for him it was just Simon was such a scammer, and she just, like, played into his scam 100%. Mom went rogue on that one. Uh, yeah, that was that was annoying. Yeah. Jimbo, I read it a different way because this is something that happens to me. Like, Tori does not appreciate it when I use my teacher voice at home or when I seg into that or when I give directions or when I have too much of my own personal shop talk at home instead of balancing it with, like, what's going on. So. I kind of thought it was a little bit about, you know, dad's day job bleeding into being a parent and being at home and it's annoying and it's, it doesn't help. So I kind of think the kids are used to it and they're kind of like, dad, not everything's about God. It struck me that way that maybe he was trying a little too hard and maybe he was one of those separating work from home people. What do you think about that, Jimbo? I didn't see it that way. I seen it as, I don't know, dude. I just, I think it fit in with the crappy writing. The way that he was pushing it, like the times that, you know, that he brought it up didn't fit into a time where you would want to say like, but God does exist. So I'm like one of those people. So like, I just can't help but think from the opposite point of view that think about it. This is stupid. I mean, without going back and rewatching it, I definitely did not feel at all feel like he was trying to separate work and home. It felt like he was just throwing in weird points to say, but God does exist. Jimbo, on your rewatch... Just think about it. <laughs> you know, I would maybe rewatch the second show if 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 the dog dies, just so I could watch Simon cry. Oh. <laughs> right. Well, take that, you spoiled little punk. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, dude, that was just a meme right there. I'm not gonna be able to live uh, to live that one down. Good thing I have an alias. Yeah, let's find Simon. Yeah, what is he doing now? What is Simon doing now? What I mean, I would give it fifty-fifty. Either good, good life choices, and he's out of showbiz, or poor life choices, and he's arguing with people on Twitter. Also, is he still that blonde? Let's find out. That's a no, that's a dangling thread for next week. Jimbo, with that being said, maybe you can talk about your your crab man idea. And Moana, you can think to yourself: Was there a non-featured player who really kicked this show into high gear? So, Jimbo, what you got? Uh, Moana, you know we're gonna give you some you know some time to think about a possible character. All right, so for my crab man, that seventh heaven was absolutely crabless. Which Moana, that's not a good thing for our show. <laughs> I gather that. Moana, you, you might be the decisive vote. You know, Moana, you – or you might have your own crab award. But, Moana, here's my point of view. And I'm going to put it to you directly because I told Jimbo about it off mic and he was not nice. But, Moana, I think there's a case to be made for the grandma. The grandma is a presence in the episode. Like, I think it's funny when the married couple is like, why do we hang out with your parents more? And then she's like, because they're better. When you get married, you do talk about the other person's parents, and they talk about your parents, and it's a delicate balance because in-laws are in-laws, so I thought that was a very real moment. And maybe maybe being married and having a kid means that I saw more real moments, but that's also a condescending thing to say to other people, so I won't. They talk about the grandma, and then at dinner, grandma crosses this parental boundary. It's kind of fucked up to contradict a, a decision made by parents about a kid in front of the kid, and grandma does. She's like, well, why don't we do it now? And then the parents are like, um, oldest son who hits on your sister, fuck off. And he leaves. And I thought like the mom was going to turn to her parents because they seem rich and be like, hey, mom, that's not cool. All right. Don't buy my kids shit if I don't want you to buy my kids shit. But no, it turns out that grandma has leukemia and that's why she wants to buy them shit right away. And all of this happens in like three minutes. It's not a lot of screen time, but shit gets real. And I did make a note that the grandpa had an underwhelming performance, which perhaps enhanced grandma's. So, Moana, your thoughts? That's tough because it's hard for me not to sympathize, Drew, with your point on the grandma. Let me let me step back because I thought that knowing that she was coming to see her daughter and, and her son-in-law to tell them that she's essentially dying from this leukemia, it essentially asserted herself as the, her grand as her grandma gangster role and told Matt that he can have whatever he wants. I, I appreciated that. Now, is it like Crabman Award level? Hmm. That's tough. Spoiler, the grandma scene is my MVP. Obviously, I, I think highly of the grandma scene, and for reasons I'll, I'll bring up when we discuss the uh, MVP, I'm just going to restate that the grandma does have a huge impact on the show. She definitely, she definitely has a strong emotional appeal. Moana or Drew, if you feel like that emotional appeal is significant enough to award a crab man, then, then I can definitely support that. But me personally, I did not find the grandma as a crab man character. I, I, I kind of felt that she was more of an emotional plot point, if that makes sense. That's fair. And the more you guys describe it, the more I'm reflecting on the true spirit of the crab man as a small thing, you know, a side a side character with not a lot going on who just kind of comes and brings it. Maybe maybe grandma and her situation are a little too big. Moana, you might be able to shed light. Is is the leukemia a running thread of season one? Man, I don't remember. That's not a good sign. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 I, I was young. 
Yeah, I, I think that MVP worthy is valid, but crab man worthy might not be so valid. All right, Jimbo, play that play that anti crab man uh, sound effect. I don't think I have an anti crab man sound effect. That might be a dangling thread as well. But Jimbo, you said that <laughs> Grandma was part of your MVP. Do we want to sag into the MVPs and can you elaborate? Is this is this a unanimous decision, crabless? Yeah, this is crabless. And it's even better, Moana. Sometimes the Crab Man Award actually deals with crabs. That's happened twice. I know, right? Like actual crabs? Yes. Or the STD? Um, you know what? I would take actual crabs so far, but the STD in the future, perhaps. Well, the STD, I think, was possibly implied in the One Punch Man as like an extra joke. I thought, that, like, I thought that also made it funnier. I didn't make that connection. Well, it was a possible interpretation. But let's – before we move into MVP – Seventh Heaven by unanimous decision, going crabless. And I'm crabless. All right, so now it's MVP time, and I'm going to jump into my MVP. So I'm going to specifically focus into the grandma refusing treatment. And just to bring in a little bit of my backstory as well to why I had such a strong emotional, you know, appeal to this to this scene. Probably about three or four years ago, my you know my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He he did do the you know the treatment but he had a really tough you know recovery from it and he would tell us all the time that he's never doing that again as far as you know like the whole um the radiation and the chemo and so i so i was really expecting the the mother figure to fight back with the mom about like no you have to do treatment because cuz that's cuz that's the most logical response when someone's about to lose someone so I thought that also made that scene a little bit of like a fairy tale, which I kind of didn't like her just so acceptance of, of the grandma's decision. But I did like the fact that the show was more acceptance to a person's decision to refuse treatment because going through the treatments is not is not pretty. And a lot of times, especially from what it sounds like her, for with her condition, the success rates are not that great either. So so that's why I gave that scene the MVP. And, and like just watching it, you know, I – I had a pretty strong emotional appeal to that scene, which I obviously did not have at any other point in the entire show. I think that's a that's a very good MVP worthy moment, and and I appreciate James like you like sharing your personal experience with that. And I think that that is such an important thing to to bring up in that scene where it's in, instead of just provoking this raw emotion, like the actual logic and and sentiment behind that, and and having a supportive family. Or for, for the grandma, I guess, to have a supportive family in that moment was 100% MVP worthy. So I just want to comment that. Yeah, Moana, I want to add on. Uh, I, I also pretty recently had a close family member deal with cancer, and their treatment was not pleasant at all. Um, however, family members came to me and was just like, go, like, you know, go speak your truth, go say your mind. So I was the the child who, or the son or daughter who pushed back pretty hard about like getting treatment as a thing. So it was interesting for me to watch it. And you're right. It was a very emotional moment. And I did get thrown that curve because I thought it was gonna be a very different take on that encounter or that interchange. Nice MVP, Jimbo. I want to save Drew's for uh, the last, because I think this has a lot more room to elaborate. And Moana, it seems like your MVP, although I'm not going to say it's not valid, seems like it'll be a lot briefer conversation. So uh, Moana, if you want to announce your (laughs) MVP... Sure. Thanks, Jimbo. So, I mean, I guess you, you were kind of taking the grandma, so, and she's like a, she's a good, strong MVP there. So I had to go with, with Happy, with the dog. And Ruthie <laughs> did name Happy, and Ruthie is, what a close runner up for MVP, I must say. 
um, because she Agreed. was so shopping and just so darn cute in her like crop top with her jeans and her like jean crop top and it was too much. It was so cute. Um, but happy, God bless that dog. You know, he scammed his way out of getting killed by looking so adorable and just plotted his way into the Camden household and just is living his best life. So I'm just proud of Happy. That appears to be a highly trained, like, pound dog. And, (laughs) Moana, I'm surprised because so much of Happy's story relates to just Ruthie's Ruthie's character being degraded because she doesn't even get her own storyline. She's a tool of Simon to train the dog. Yes. So. Yeah, that's true. And and she's like begging for treats and like accolades from from her also doing the tricks that the dog was doing. Exactly. I thought that part was awesome though. You know, yeah. I'm sorry to just completely rob Happy of his probably only MVP moment in his entire existence. <laughs> but uh, dude, Ruth was awesome, man. If the show would have been about yeah. Ruth, if if uh if Seventh Heaven was a 20 minute show about Ruth, I would probably watch that show. That'd be a good show. I'll say this yeah, too. Yeah, she was awesome. I'll say this too. Uh, Tori, when she was in college, my wife, she was a nanny for triplets. And, you know, both the parents worked. So it was, they were kind of some long days with like three babies and then three toddlers and then three, like three year olds. Like she, she nannied them for like three years and then, you know, stayed in contact. Well, one day she played doggy. I'm doing quotes with my fingers. She played quote unquote doggy with the kids and taught them how to sit, how to roll over how to shake hands. And when the mom got home and Tori showed off the tricks, she was not amused. So again, you guys <laughs> the fantasy show, people don't think it's cute when you use children to do animal tricks. It's a lot cuter when, when the kid's younger though, but yes, definitely not. Yeah. Ruthie overcame that though. I think she just, she nailed it. She overcame that. <laughs> Moana, what happens to Ruthie in later seasons? Where's her character go? You know, she stays adorable for a while, for for many, many seasons. I think around the time Simon just reeks peak brat, peak annoying, is around the time she, like, first of all, she stri- starts straightening her hair, which is sad, because oh, she has yeah, beautiful yeah, curly is, hair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I remember her just kind of starting to be annoying as well. I don't know if, she, I don't know how old she gets. How many seasons was this show? Like seven, maybe? That we would, know? 11. That would be correct. I hope it's seven seasons. No, I thought yeah. it was 11. Let me look it up. 11 Keep seasons? Talking. 11? Gee. I think so. Oh. Let me look it up. I I don't feel like Seventh Heaven was on the air when Obama was running for the Democratic nomination. That would be two, 20, 2007. 1996 to 2007, Seventh Heaven. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Someone was watching it. You got to be like a teenager by the end, so... I don't remember what she what she ends up doing. Jimbo, you should include one of those BuzzFeed "What do they look like now?" articles in the show notes. Okay, we'll get um, Simon and Ruth on there. I'd watch a Ruth show. Just tell me she She's doesn't like, stay she Simon's. Get just tell me she doesn't stay Simon's shitty sidekick. I don't know. I don't remember. And it's not worth verifying. So let's just move on. So Jimbo, my MVP. Even though Moana was the dedicated fan, it seems like I might have had the uh, the gentlest or the kindest watch of this pilot. I enjoyed the positive and subtle representation of Christianity in the show. Can I jump in just really quick with a low blow to you? Maybe you felt Tori's nostalgia boner. Maybe it was rubbing against you a little bit when you're watching it. We, 
we were cuddling in the baby cage. Nice. <laughs> we were we were we were in the cage that stops the baby from going and touching like electrical outlets. And I actually keep a pillow in the baby cage. So we kind of propped up the pillow. It was the most romantic podcast work I've ever done. Nice. Well, I think it rubbed off on you, pun intended. Um, so yeah, my MVP was, I thought that this was a really subtle and positive representation of Christianity. Jimbo, I know you grew up in Oregon and Moana, I know you grew up in Southern California, but I kind of grew up, grew up in the South. And in a lot of ways that sucks. Specifically, this type of Christianity was not the type of Christianity that I was exposed to via billboards or via intrusive state politics. Um, in addition, I was a Jewish kid in a town with not a lot of Jewish kids, but the other kids weren't. And this family's version of their faith reminded me of people that I would meet later in life. The type of Christianity that in this show reminds me of some of my buddies who kind of went on to non-denominational churches or kind of not judgy. But the vibe I got from this show was, hey, it's cool if you're not Christian, but the Camdens will live their life this way and they're not really proselytizing which I enjoy. I have a dangling thread about Christian entertainment 2017. I just think there could be more seventh heaven style messages about religion or putting religion into a TV show. Because nowadays I feel like if religion is part of it, it's like a polarizing thing or it's the main issue to me. That's kind of why I read the dad's talk about God as him bringing his job home and stuff. Maybe it was, it wasn't great writing, but I thought that it was very non-confrontational religious talk, which I am so not used to in 2017. Thoughts? Can you maybe explicitly explain what you do see today as a comparison? Sure. So it's going to be on my petardar. There's this movie called God is Not Dead. It's representative of uh, some mainstream straight-to-DVD Christian movies that have come out that kind of explicitly pit the Christian idea versus the non-Christian world. Basically, this young kid goes to college, and in his philosophy class, Kevin Sorbo, TV's Hercules and Legendary Journeys, Kevin Sorbo, plays a philosophy professor who makes all of the students say on the first day of class, God is not dead. This really plays in the stereotype that is dangerous, especially in the American South, that colleges are dens of liberal places where we train kids to reject religion and reject non-liberal thought. And it kind of creates this divide in America that I think is dangerous. That creates a greater divide between people who are liberal or people who are religious who may not go to college and people who go to college and through, you know, getting older might drift away from their religion, but may still be very much part of it. Seventh heaven doesn't really play with religious stereotypes. Like, the characters are Christian and they're positive Christians without making anyone a villain. I feel like today's Christian entertainment kind of forces the non-Christian world or the atheists or just the non-believers to be adversaries to the Christians in the entertainment. Have you seen any movies like Or maybe the less believers. I don't really watch a lot of stuff. I can't really comment on that. As you're saying that, Drew, I do. I did start watching this show that Oprah Winfrey produces, and I love Oprah Winfrey. Shout out to Oprah. Woo. It's called Greenleaf. It's about a family from the South that they're a black family, and the father is a mega church pastor, like, you know, broadcasted probably and has thousands and thousands of people in his congregation. It kind of shows the corrupt side of 
of being in power within Christianity. It toggles between like showing the corruption of Christianity and showing like the beauty of it too through like his daughter who's also trying to become a preacher. That's that's a show I can I can attest to that is that does talk about Christian themes in in both ways. Can I jump in just just to kind of get back to your main point, Drew? Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you referring to the representation of Christianity today being more of like the secular or like dividing it into either extreme Christian perspective or extreme secular, like almost no presence religion? That's what I would say. And I want to call it the Kirk Cameron effect, because right around the time that Kirk Cameron made like Left Behind and then started making his movies, that's when I feel like those movies started getting and those particular pieces of media started getting like real preachy and judgy. Whereas Seventh Heaven just strikes me as like a pro-Christian message that's also just kind of not necessarily anti-anything. What do you think about that, Jimbo? I see it as being a fairly secular show, though. As in, it doesn't. It's not pushing any beliefs. It's kind of, it's kind of like it's there in the background, but it's not. You know, they're not pushing it at all. The kids. I don't even think. You know, besides Simon using God to get a dog. The kids don't even acknowledge God at all throughout the show. And I feel like if that, if those were their parents, they would have been way more, as I would have called them in high school, Jesus freaks. Well, Jimbo, I would say that the <laughs> the father references that he wants the oldest son to go to church, and the middle daughter is counseled with a biblical verse that's referenced later. So I think there are more facets of Christianity in the show you might give it credit for, but that's my point. It's not overtly religious or overtly pro-Christian, and it's it's showing, not telling. It's like these are nice people who are nice to each other, and look how influenced they are by their faith, almost ever-present. And the oldest son's hair is once again totally Jesus' hair. The dad was like, get a haircut, son. He was like, Jesus wore it this way. That's kind of what I meant by, by secular. What do you think, Moana? I agree with you, right? It was pretty – it was subtle, but there were a lot of little like nuanced references to their faith or the obviousness that he is a pastor – Unless I missed it, but they didn't really explicitly say that they were living in a church house and that he, he their dad is minister. Like that wasn't really. They did say that explicitly. Until you see them in church. No, they, they did. did. They did say that's how they had the house. It was after they went to church. Yeah. So before that scene, you, they didn't really say that what the dad did for a living. Yeah, we had no idea what the dad did. You're right about that. You're right. So in that way, it is like random show about a family, and then it. It unfolds that actually this family has these religious morals that, like, you reflect on after finding out that the father is a preacher or a minister. I keep, like, using that word interchangeably. I don't know if there's a difference. But I think you're both right in this in this case. Like, it is, like, super secular, but then once you know he's a preacher, then – because when the mom references that that quote, she it almost sounds like she's trying to sing that song that it's from, Right. Yeah, the song is based on uh, Ecclesiastic, uh, however you pronounce it. Ecclesiastes, but when you describe verses from Ecclesiastes, they are Ecclesiastic, Jimbo. Okay, cool. So so I was right. <laughs> but like bouncing back to Drew's first point, I think the reason you like this Christian representation is because there's almost no Christian representation in it. It's a mostly secular representation of a Christian family. I don't know if that's why you like it or not, but but that's kind of the way the way that I saw it. Maybe. I mean, yeah, the fact that they're not aggressively proselytizing or telling me or gay people or unmarried mothers that they're going to go to hell 
is nice. Maybe that's how I would like. I no, I know Christians that are like that. They're really nice people, and their faith informs their decisions. No, of course. And they go to church on Sunday, and then they're kind of nice the rest of the week. Jump in, Moana. I think Jimbo, you're trying to like get at the fact that if this is just like some this like wholesome family, which you kind of criticize as saying is unrealistic and being so tight knit and close and like open in their conversation. But then that's also highlighting what Drew is pointing out as his as what he really like is as his MVP for this episode, which is that wholesomeness. Yeah. Okay. No. No. That's fair. Settle this, Moana. You're the third voice. Drew is saying that that seventh heaven is not being represented today, alluding to that he would like to see Christianity represented more like seventh heaven. And what I'm saying is that seventh heaven is a very secular representation. Yeah. What do you think about that, Drew? Did I clarify or did I just restate what I already stated? Somewhat. I would say a show named seventh heaven. Yeah. (laughs) It's the first show in a while that has referenced a biblical verse multiple times in the same episode. So. We might have different definitions of subtle uh, references to Christianity. I would like to make one more comment. So I have, I have a bu- buddy back home, and, and I would say he's super religious. And I always think he's a crazy person when he tells me this. But he has this idea that like Christianity is under attack by America and by the media and by secularism. Is that part of what you're saying or no? You go first, Moana. I, I don't think that's what you're saying, Drew, but I, I can understand why, based on the way the media kind of mock people that are religious or the fact that certain sectors of Christianity have been exposed for their corruption or exposed for, for wrongdoings, that it could feel like someone within the position that is still of, of that faith would feel attacked. So I don't know. That's that's tough, Jimbo. Like. I have a hard time really finding a show that is like Seventh Heaven in this day and age. Okay, that's fair. On the spot, Mona, if you heard someone telling you about how Christianity is under attack by the media, is that person crazy? Yes or no? Is that person crazy? I would make space for that person's opinion. So I guess I wouldn't say they're crazy. Nice. Cool. Okay, Drew. It's a crazy person, Jimbo. That's what I think too, Yen. (laughs) Ah, it got me. Damn. No, I'm just kidding. I understand what you're saying to me, Jimbo. I think what you're saying is, does Drew like his Christianity subtle and in the background? I wouldn't say that. I think that's what you're inferring. But no, I just think that one thing I think it's cool about my own personal faith is Reformed Jewish people especially don't really have really big outward signs of their faith. It's more of like a quiet thing that you kind of carry with you. So maybe I was just identifying with the Reformed Judaism of Seventh Heaven. Perhaps that's what we can say. Okay. Interesting. And uh, Jimbo, does that does that take us to a commercial break? Do you love takeout but hate being wasteful? Tired of the growing stack of takeout containers that you know will never be recycled? Do you feel guilty about all the carbon emissions from your delivery drivers? Here at Buy Eco Takeout, we have the world's finest suspended cyclists cycling your favorite takeout in the most guilt-free and sustainable manner. Our suspended cyclists eat 100% organic diets, ride 100% sustainable carbon fiber frames, and always inject non-GMO EPO. So next time you call for takeout, call 1-800-BUY-ECO-SCI or go to buyecotakeout.com for ethical takeout delivery. And don't forget to find our app, Buy Eco Take, and enter the code PETARDS for 20% off your first order. 
Let them know we sent you. Join us as we save the planet one takeout at a time. And it's probably like a mistake, which probably emits more carbon emission and is bad for the planet then. Possibly, but at least the exploited worker is doesn't have to drive his car around extra. Hey, buy Eco Takeout. There's some free advertising for you in addition to your 45-second ad that you paid for. So, Jimbo, I'm going to take the lead on this one. I'm going to grab the icky dangling thread. It's, it's gross. It's going to make you feel weird. I hope you watched the episode before you listen to this podcast because if you haven't, you're not going to want to watch it. So I am, of course, referring to the fact that in 2014, it was revealed that Stephen Collins, who plays the father, the pastor, dad on this show, I'll get to this point in a minute. I'll get to where it got to. But between the years of 1973 and 1994, Stephen Collins admitted that he had molested five young women. This information came out because in 2014, Stephen Collins was getting kind of a nasty divorce from his wife and unbeknownst to himself or the marriage therapist, the marriage counselor, the wife uh, was taping their sessions. And so she has Stephen Collins on tape admitting to those molestations. Dang. Yep. I know before, Jimbo, you were halfway through the uh, the podcast when we were talking about this off mic. And Moana and I thought it was like a child pornography thing. The molestation across that great of a time period and two years before this show was shot I don't want to quantify creepiness and compare child pornography to molestation, but uh, it got ickier. Um, it was not child pornography. It was actual molesting. So I'm going to stop talking because I don't know how to end this little thing I'm saying. So let me tie it back to the show a little bit. About halfway through the show, I had paused it. I had called Drew and Moana to just talk a little bit about what about what we were going to do today. And they referenced that this guy in, and they used child porn that he got busted with a bunch of child porn and it really made the rest of the episode like every like when when he has his scene with Lucy and he's hugging her and he's just really happy that she got her period dude i was so disgusted with that scene and um yeah man that that actor is really really creepy when you know what he admitted to totally and also read the article we'll put it in the show notes he talks about the fact that he looked into apologizing or reaching out and he said he did reach out to one victim and offered to apologize and offered to explain himself for whatever that's worth and then he said something to the effect of but i've also read that it can be damaging to reopen the scars and wounds and uh i'm not a trauma therapist yeah, me either. so i don't know but i will not to defend him as a person but I do think people that molest children, I, I do think it's more of a mental illness, like drug addiction. Interesting. That's like a Lolita. That's like a Lolita sympathy right there. Is it? You know the book Lolita? Yeah, Have I never read it? read it though. No, I haven't. Oh, it's like, it's that perspective of like sympathizing with a child molester. I teach a class at school and one of the classes I teach about is like a philosophy class where we look at like intention or we look at morality as a whole. You know, some people are consequentialists. And so they're like, what are the consequences of actions? And that determines morality. Some people are almost like feeling like the way that the act makes you feel determines the morality. And then some people are intentionalists. And it's what is the intention behind the act? And that determines the morality. I'm with Immanuel Kant. I tend to fall under intentionalism. 
it would matter to me what the intention of this person was as to whether it is in fact a moral or immoral act. And on some level, I got to believe that he knows that like what he was doing was for himself. And so at the very least, it is a selfish, if not incredibly damaging act to the other party. No, for, of course I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying I identify as an intentionalist. So the way that I determine who is at fault or, what the issue is would be by what is that person's intention. And so I believe on some level they might have known that what they were doing was at least selfish, if not morally wrong. Most child molesters would agree that what they're doing is bad. I think it's more that they can't help themselves, I guess. I don't, I kind of don't like that wording, Jimbo. I just think it's, it's like totally wrong. I think it has a lot to do with power and, and a man just exercising power over someone that's vulnerable and susceptible to being like to succumb to that because I, I very much look at it as a predator prey and not just like this well, definitely. barbaric instinct of like wanting to just attack any 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 like young girl that he sees. It's like very calculated and like I'm gonna not only just grab any young girl and forcefully do something, but I'm going to manipulate her and put in the time and effort to do that so that she trusts me and then I'm going to molest her for many, many years. Like, I think that's a very intentional action and I don't think that's a, I think it is a mental illness, it's sadistic, but I don't think it's like a, I can't help myself, impulsiveness. It's like very calculated and planned out. Yeah, I would put this in. We don't know all the exact details, but I'll, but I'll say this, Jimbo, um, to speak to Moana's point, if this occurred over the course of 21 years, and if this was then kept a secret for another 20 years from 94 to 2014, I would say there is a power imbalance. And I would say there is a measure of calculation that makes this sinister, not just something that happened in a spur of a moment that couldn't be helped. This seems calculated just by virtue of when this came out, when it occurred, and when this guy got a job still able to like be in his profession after committing these crimes. Yeah, okay. Came off weird. Um, I, I'm not sure I expressed myself the way the way that I wanted to, but just move on. Judge me accordingly. Jimbo, you're you're the editor of this fine podcast, so I think I think in the three days to come while you're editing, if you want to do a little postscript, if you want to be like, hey guys, Jimbo on the mic here. Yeah, that might not make it. Moana, talk to us about your dangle yeah. thread. Yeah, so mine's in the in a light on a lighter note. Well, is it that much of a lighter note? Well, I, I think it is. I think it's much lighter. It has to be lighter. lighter. It can't yeah. get any it's, darker. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. it is. Um, so it's like my jaw dropped at this moment. And I was actually watching this episode with Michael and we both kind of looked at each other like, what? Um, so I'll set the scene. So Mary and Lucy, Jessica Biel, and I don't know the other girl's character. The two sisters are uh, going on this like fuck period jog where Lucy, the younger one, is all hormonal and upset about her period not coming and whatever. So that's that's the context. So they're on this jog talking about their dream boys. And Lucy says her dream guy would be Prince Charles, who, like, if your listeners want to just go ahead and Google him, he is, like, really fugly. Like, I don't, I'm confused by that. Old, too. Way old but, for her. Yeah, he's old. He was old at that moment, old. too. Yes. Yeah, it's weird. Although, you know, Princess Diana was married to him at that time, and she was beautiful. But, but she's old know. for an 11-year-old. She had, like, an 11-year-old son, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, 
1996. And, and so that, that's the conversation where Lucy says her dream guy's Prince Charles. And then Mary, and she says, like, well, he'll nev- I'll never be able to have him. And Mary just says, oh, don't worry, he'll be free soon. Oh. So that's a year before Princess Diana died in that car crash. It just was, it just freaked me out. Why were they talking about Prince Charles being single a year before he was? And it just seemed really creepy and a conspiracy. Correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone knows, but I'm pretty sure the royals did not like Princess Diana. They did not. There were probably rumors about them breaking up or her being maybe kicked out of the family or something. Or Moana. If you want to take this theory, you can go to Reddit. And find find the yeah. pages where they they make they circle the faces in the smoke from the two towers, and I think that this theory okay. would go really well there because you know maybe Sevenman <laughs> was just like clearing the way for Camilla, you know, Who knows? to get what she wanted. It was just very eerie and creepy, and so I just thought it was worth noting. It was worth noting for sure. When Princess Anna died, like that was a very memorable moment in my childhood. I was like 10 years old. Prince Charles, again, you're right, was not attractive. And the thing is, it's not like he's written a book and he was on talk shows, so you don't have much to go. I'm not, I don't want to sound shallow, but, you know, he's not putting himself out there. So what do we have to go on? Not attractive physical features. So there you go. It's odd. He's royalty, man. The guy's a prince. I know. His family's been (laughs) intermarrying, and so the blood is weak. But his sons were like her age. Yeah, I know. It's true. Like, why wouldn't Lucy say Prince William? Yeah, exactly. Prince Harry turned out way more handsome. Prince William looks like his dad. Ew. Dude, the writing is so terrible. Who the hell writes that for an 11-year-old? That's just that's just stupid. Maybe like a 35-year-old who had a thing for Prince Charles. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, this show says probably a lot more about Brenda Hampton than it does about any of the characters on the show. We should look her up. Should, I, should I, that be our dangling dress? She could be I tried to look her up. There's there's not much information about her. She was a writer for Mad About You uh, in the early 90s, and she was a producer there as well. Um, and then she worked on a 1999 show called Safe Harbor, which sounds like a, uh, a covert Christianity show like Seventh Heaven, but could also be a show about like boats and shit. She also did a show, and I don't remember the exact name, but it was something like Secret American Lives or something, and it was about teenagers, and it was pretty popular. Oh, wait, wait, The Secret Life of the American Teenager? Yes, that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Tori loves that show, too. Nice. Okay, so it's probably the same ballpark. I, th- I, I think it was on the same. Nope, ABC Family, now Freeform. ABC Family, you can advertise with us, too. Uh, last week, Moana, we had our first female writer out of our previous seven pilot episodes. And so now we have back-to-back female presence in the um, creation and writing. All right. Yeah, and, uh, I can get behind that. And Jimbo, by the way, um, is Greg Garcia white? Because he's the writer, producer, and showrunner of My Name is Earl. He's super white. His last name is Garcia. I mean, he's a white Mexican at best, dude. Like, super white, though. Dude, he writes a show that takes place in Indiana inside of a trailer park. Let me ask this question because we're dangling threads and I don't want to get to my last one. In what state do we think Seventh Heaven takes place and to what denomination is the dad? Because I'm thinking Delaware and maybe Episcopalian. Thoughts? I had looked it up, so I actually know. Well, you go last. Moana? Interesting. I thought it was California. Oh. 
Okay. No, that's a big house, though. No, I'm changing my mind. Tennessee. Kentucky. Should have gone with your gut. It takes place in a fictional city in California. I actually don't oh. know the uh, denomination. Oh. I didn't I, I didn't look that up. Oh, good job, Moana. Trust your gut. Wait, guys. I'm sorry. We're like – I have to go like kind of soon. Yeah, that's fine. You know, let's let's uh, run through this really quick, okay? Moana, are you gonna watch or rewatch Seventh Heaven? No. <laughs> Hard pass. Hell no for me, dude. Hell no for me, Drew. No, but Tori might, and if she does, I'll let you guys know what future episodes bring. Moana, this is what the show is all about: to hoist or not to hoist. And just in case you forgot to check the cheat sheet, to hoist means the show sucks. To not hoist means that it's good or doesn't suck. So, Drew, why don't you start us off to hoist or not to hoist briefly, sir? Okay, so this is an interesting pilot, and it does what a pilot's supposed to do. But, yeah, this this show gets hoisted very easily, if, if on nothing except for the weird incest vibe. I didn't get past it. You guys maybe did, I guess. I didn't. Hoist. Hard hoist. Uh, Moana? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Drew. Hard hoist. Hoisted to poop. Okay, this this show, this show is down there with Buffy. Um, I think it's going to be at this down in the cellar of our of our uh, pilots that we end up doing. By unanimous decision, Seventh Heaven, hella hoisted. Seventh Heaven, hoisted to hell. All right, now Moana, we are going to give you an exit strategy. What is on your Pradardar? What what would you recommend for someone who liked or didn't like Seventh Heaven? What's what's something similar or better? Oh, similar. Mm, okay. Because I was already thinking of, of other pilots that I would love to be invited back for. Well, let's see how um, the numbers go. Let's see if you get people to download and subscribe, Moana. we got to get you out here hoistling. I, <laughs> I know. But if you guys ever do Lost, Please invite me back because I love that show. So I'm biased, but whatever. If you write us a review, um, you get to pick the pilot. So maybe yeah. if you pick Lost. Oh, hey. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll consider that. Mm, so Greenleaf, Greenleaf, that show I, I, I mentioned earlier, if you want that, like, religious undertones and it's, it's more of a messed up family, though. There's nothing, there's nothing really wholesome about it. But Oprah does produce it, as I mentioned earlier. So Greenleaf might be on there. Um, and then if you want to go real dark and just talk about Christianity and all of that did remind me of Lost. And then it did remind me of uh, The Leftovers. Oh. If you all have seen that, which is a kind of existential kind of, I don't know. It's hard to explain The Leftovers, but it does have undertones on what it means to exist, what it means to be. That whole, uh, what's the, the rapture, that's what it is. It kind of has like that vibe of, people disappear. I'll just give you that. And it's, it still has rapture vibes. That sounds interesting. Moana, thanks for being with us. Thanks for thanks for listening to Buffy. Thank you for your eventual review. But thank you so much for spending this time with us. Moana, at the beginning of the episode, when you were like, I got to go to dinner pretty soon, I was like, mm, you'll be here a while. Yeah, I kind of yeah, predicted that as well, dude. I hope your parents aren't, aren't too pissed off at us. And Tell old guys say hello. No, they're not. Yeah, cool. I will. And I would strongly rec- recommend our Wonder Years episode. Take about 22 minutes of, of uh, your life, illegally stream the Wonder Years, and then listen to episode 8 from us. No, sorry, episode 7. Yep. 
And and think about well, I Scientology. Watched the episode, so I'm on there. Oh, okay. nice, cool. All right, Moana. Yeah. Thanks. We appreciated having you. And I think we had a few kinks we had to work out at the very beginning, but it went really well. Great. I'm glad. I'm happy to be a part of it. All right, Moana. So. Yep. Moana, we have a special saying that there's a way we always sign out. You need to sign out too. So just so just turn turn to the microphone and loudly and confidently mm-hmm. say, every day I'm hoistling. Okay. <laughs> every day I'm hoistling. Yeah. All right. Moana out. Hey, dude. I got stuff on my guitar. Why'd you turn the music on? Moana had to go, and uh, she only wanted to be about 45 minutes. So we are going to continue with our petardar. And I'm and I'm just going to briefly say, I think um, Gilmore Girls I, I would recommend, because I feel like Seventh Heaven was more of a, that would have been for young people. And maybe I, I'm going to just go ahead and be sexist and say that it was more of a girl show. And although I Gilmore Girls is not exclusively a girl show, I think uh, there's plenty of guys that like Gilmore Girls. But I think Gilmore Girls would be a way higher quality show. And then I'm going to shout out the uh, the Wonder Years. The Wonder Years, I think, is a way better re- uh, representation of a white family in America. Oh, yeah. I, that's funny because when Tori and I started watching, like literally the first thing that she said after all the kids, like, crammed into the room and then had to leave when she was like, wow, it's a lot of cute, clean cut white people. I was like, yeah, babe, they're going for it. Cause none of the Camden kids look anything alike or like the parents for that matter. I would push back on that. They look alike. Mm, which one, which ones? The older brother and the older sister. They look alike. What? Jimbo, not all white people look alike. Like what about them looks alike? Like Mary's face is long. The boy's face is round. Their hair is very different. His is wavy and kind of swept. Hers is straight. Looked alike to me, man. Uh, dude, I work with like a lot of like brothers, sisters, and cousins in school, and you can tell. That's true. None of those people looked alike. And James, I know you and your brother, and I can tell that you're related. We don't look that much alike either. I don't. Uh, think. I think that the shapes of your head are similar, the shades of your hair are similar, and that your builds are similar too. You're both kind of rangy. I know other siblings that don't look that much alike. Oh, I know other siblings too that don't look alike, but I don't know seven or five siblings, each of whom looks nothing like any of the other ones. What's the deal with Simon? That's the milkman's baby. Is anyone else in that family like horribly blonde? Dude, but the thing with a lot of blonde kids is they grow up and their hair gets darker. So. All right, well. All right, well, how about Ruthie's curly hair? Other TV shows do do a better job of having kids that look similar, so... I, I will acknowledge that uh, that you had a fair point. I did not notice or care about that point, just as me personally. I didn't make it a high point or a low point. That's fair. So here's my petardar, and this was going to be a dangling thread, but we, we had to get through because Moana had to go to dinner, which is fine. I've, I've met her parents. They're lovely. Here's my dangling thread slash petardar, and luckily for Helen, I won't be repeating. There's this movie that came out in like 2014 called God is Not Dead, and I described the beginning of it. It is the love, actually, of super judgy Christian films that cast the devout Christians as the heroes and anyone else as like kind of garbage fire human beings because the movie is explicit and overt. Seventh Heaven was a welcome bomb because Tori and I rented that movie Kind of made fun of it because it was very poorly acted and kind of shitty to non-Christians. And then Tori had to drive to the like the airport. Her car kind of spun out and she called me and was like, God is mad at us for making fun of his movie. And I was like, babe, 
God would not approve if God is not dead. Seriously, I recommend it on the Petardar just to watch because you think I'm exaggerating. Go get it from the library. Recommended. It'll make Seventh Heaven look great. True. Nobody needs to watch that movie. There's a lot more to that movie. I explained again. It's a Love Actually film. That was an interesting Petardar plug. I have absolutely zero interest in seeing that movie, and I'm definitely never going to watch it. Unless someone wants to pay me money. I would watch it for money. Well, you know, God is not dead. We're, we're available for for uh, for advertising. Modest financial fee. Okay. Yeah, pay me money, and I will review your movie, and, and, we, and we will do a special God is not dead episode. But other than that, I will never watch that movie. That movie just sounds stupid. It's pretty out there. So, Jimbo, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to watch Dawson's Creek, and I'm really hoping that this is not just Seventh Heaven with a different name. Um, I, I've never seen da- Dawson's Creek. I don't want to talk too much about it now, but this is uh, this is requested from our reviewer, Rebecca. Yep. So I'll get, I'll get some back from, from Rebecca and Jimbo. I remember watching Dawson's Creek. I watched it a few times. Uh, it started to show on TBS in my college years, so I was like, I'll watch this again. I'm going to watch it again between now and next time. Watch it on Hulu, my friends, my my loyal subscribers. Uh, But I remember it being pretentious as hell. So I'm excited to talk about it with you. And we'll talk about it next week. What are our plugs, Jimbo? Our official Pilots and Petards closing music is an instrumental track called Alive by Entheos. And our official ad background music is mixed by Jake Drew. If you want to continue any or all of these conversations, or if there's something we missed or whatever, any feedback, go to our website, pilotsandpetards.com, or go to Facebook. If we didn't add you already, go ahead and join the group, Pilots and Petards. Drew. Yeah, my, my father mentioned the pictures that our Mozambican students had posted too. Yeah, those are interesting as well. The Twitter, we are at Pilots and Petards. I'll talk a little bit more about the Twitter in a second after the reviews. But uh, in addition, we're on Instagram too. One thing we're trying to do with Instagram is to take your favorite line from an episode and we'll meme it, find a good picture of Jimbo or find a good picture of me, depending on who said the quote. And we can use that as a way to push our show. If you can broadcast us on social media, if you want to share us, if you want to status update us, we'd love that, you know, like spread the love and we can open our net a little bit wider to catch those precious, precious subs. Jimbo, you ready for some reviews? Let's do it. Great. Here's a review from this past Thursday, and it's by Elon Disk. That's my boy Dylan, who is not Dilly Dilly. Dilly Dilly, if you're out there, you know, we would love to know who you are. Yeah, come on out, Dilly Dilly. Okay, Elon Disk says, These guys have pretty good chemistry. It is nice to hear how their interest in TV shows can lead to good conversations outside of the TV realm. Their discussion of the shows can get you interested in the show. If you're looking for something new to watch, four stars. Thanks, Dylan. And I, I texted with Dylan. He would like for us to watch Firefly or Breaking Bad. Yes. Oh, thank you, Dylan. No, Firefly. I would like push towards Firefly. That that's actually on my hit list. I would love to do Firefly. I will put it. We'll put it at the end of the queue. I will say that my sister Zayn is a huge Breaking Bad fan and has expressed interest in being the Breaking Bad guest. And Jimbo, Ooh. you could push your older sibling agenda for what ninety minutes. Yeah. Well, definitely. Okay, well, Zan, if you're listening, I would be able to pull the e-brake on Firefly if you wanted to join us for Breaking Bad. But we're going to need you next week for our sibling rivalry edition. All right. Okay, and uh, one more review. 
This one is this past Friday. It's from Fitzger W E P. Probably Fitzgerald something. Title is Digging It. Five stars. Enjoying the show. I like the back and forth. Jim and Drew are very analytical in their approach. This isn't just another review show. These guys put in a lot of effort, and you can tell. I highly recommend this show to someone who wants a critical, thorough review of classic television shows. Thanks for reading Supernatural. It was an entertaining episode, even if I don't agree. Check out Rick and Morty if you run out of ideas. I'm happy because Rick and Morty was on my hit list. So nice. Thank you, uh, Fitzger W. And uh, I have talked to this guy on Twitter. He was very polite. And sent me a pretty funny uh, Twitter meme or a clip of the Supernatural Boys throwing it up. If you like Bob Seger even a little bit, I think you can really appreciate that clip, which I love that clip. That was a very cool clip. So those are our reviews, Jimbo. And uh, I want to talk real quick. I want to plug the Twitter because um, I'm, I'm watching the Wonder Years, Jimbo. And I'm not just watching the Wonder Years, but I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting my my reactions um the episode so if you want to know about the second episode of the wonder years let me let me ask these questions do you want to see winnie cooper's jackie o dress does winnie's brother's ghost show up to pep talk kevin does kevin kick his brother's ass and does his best friend steal from a bookstore does the show contextualize the post news kiss and is this show worth the rewatch yes 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 ish and fuck yes so I am enjoying rewatching Wonder Years. If you want to see some some pictures, I already found a really cool Easter egg. Dante Basco, who played Rufio in Hook, is in an early episode, that second episode. I took a picture, I added him. And he liked that tweet. So if you want to be in the same you know social circle as Rufio, just follow our podcast, and you'll have interacted with a, a Twitter account that he interacted with. It'll be like you guys are buds. What do you think about that, Jimbo? Yeah, sounds great. Um, if you want, that's another place to continue the conversation is on Twitter. And viewers, if you haven't noticed by the music, the show is is and has been officially over for a few minutes now. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're gonna stick around for probably a couple more minutes. Yeah, yeah, Jimbo, I I like our show as as we've talked about before. Since I don't edit it, I do listen to it when it comes out. Like sometimes you ask me to listen for like specific parts or if I like. Uh, specific edit you've made but i very frequently listen to the show itself what are your thoughts on whether or not i should review the show because i'm i'm a subscriber and i'm a listener yeah dude go for it man you're a listener write a review a little meta you know feels it feels a little icky yeah well at least you're not gonna make out with zan you're right that would be ickier and you know what maybe i'll write that review soon and Drew had mentioned writing reviews last week. And viewers, if you listen to our shop talk, I wrote two reviews yesterday. And I'm going to continue to write reviews because it's the right thing to do. You're right, man. Let's, you know, there's a lot of good social causes out there. And there's a lot of takes to be taken, a lot of hot takes to be taken. Let's be the podcast that encourages reviewing other podcasts. If you listen, if you appreciate and enjoy the podcast and you're not willing to donate any money to them, you the least thing that you could do is write a review to promote the show. And actually, a buddy of mine from the military reached out and he has a very successful podcast. And because he plugged us, I'm going to go ahead and plug him. It's called Poop Culture. And it's it's a really solid show. They they have some pretty high quality guests on on their show. They have a huge network, and if you're into comedy, it's it, it's a comedy podcast, and you want to hear a couple other white dudes talk talk about stuff. It's definitely worth check, checking out. 
that, I mean, that's good for now. I'll, I'll also plug it again when we become a little more popular to, to kind of, you know, return the favor. And I guess in, in two months, if we're part of the Poop Culture Network or family, I guess we showed, I guess we proved ourselves, you know, like we, uh, yeah, that's true. I don't know, Jim, there's, there's so many podcasting, like subgroups and networks out there. Like what are the ones you've heard of? Cause I feel like Earwolf is a thing. Hannah play is a thing. Poop culture. I haven't heard of any man. This, this is all new to me. I need to like review more podcasts cause they're, they're podcasts that I reviewed since we started this. I've been listening to for five years. And those of you that have reviewed us, that is helpful since Drew and I want to have a successful podcast, not to make large amounts of money, but just because it's a cool project and we enjoy doing it. So, so we definitely appreciate those of you that, that finally got annoyed with Drew and I texting you and, and, you know, went out there and left a review. I think we could jump up to some of the, maybe not to the top 40, but, but I think we could climb up relatively quickly, especially if our, our, our faithful listeners keep leaving reviews for us. And viewers, if you're not happy with, with any of the shows, then you need to step up and take some um, some ownership of your podcasting and your life and your listening and leave us a review and give us a show that you want to listen to. And, uh, and listeners, if you have complained to Jimbo or I about wanting to be a guest and yet have not written a review, uh, that those things might be related. Those things are. Yes. All right. So Jimbo, you got, you got anything else? I, I thought this was I a very I'm... cool episode. Her back and forth, she had good energy. The the technical difficulties sucked. She forgot her laptop at her cousin's house last night. Just a completely uh, amateur move. You know, any any respectable podcaster is never going to leave their laptop anywhere. And so we, we had some severe difficulties trying to get her online. If you're wondering if she was on a cell phone, the answer is yes. Uh, Drew was speakerphoning her from his cell phone. And so that is why... Moana's sound quality is what it is and hopefully next time we have Moana on for a lost episode potentially we will be able to solve these problems oh Jimbo when you said lost episode I was like Moana's gonna be on the West Wing episode oh, she could be Ooh, be interesting. could be uh, if, if our viewership spikes and everyone's like more Moana we'll, yes. you know, we'll have to figure it out you know a- anyone that's listening if you want more Moana let us know let her know and we can probably make that happen we'll have to you know i'll have to give her some of my tips on how to hang up sheets and blankets in in the corner of a room and buy a and buy a crappy mic but um but we could probably make that happen yeah yeah so if you if you want more moana add us you know tweet at us and instagram at us and facebook at us and website commented us and we're on gmail pilots and petards and in the middle uh at gmail so jimbo has anybody ever gmail us we got one spam message of someone trying to scam us and then we got one guy that i had contacted on on reddit well i think i'm good jimbo out all right see you man